There is nothing better than that. Well, church, Merry Christmas. It is great to be with you today. I love gathering like this. Growing up, church was not part of our family Christmas tradition. So I missed out on a lot and I missed out on a lot of things like this. So I am glad that you have made it a priority to put church as part of your holiday plans. Now, I don't just enjoy gathering at the Christmas season and times like this. I enjoy gathering with y'all every Sunday because it seems like every Sunday God is doing something cool here at church. We're watching people get baptized. We're watching people get to know him and follow him. And God is doing something special in our midst. So I hope if you are newer to us, if this is your first time with us, that Christmas at OCC won't be your only time with us, but that you will make plans to make this not just part of your holiday plans, but part of your weekly plan. And we know that this time of year, we all make all kinds of plans, right? We plan to get together with friends and family. We plan to celebrate and open presents and give presents and we share meals and we make cookies and Man, I love the cookies part. And we have all kinds of fun like that. But the other day I was talking to my wife and she was telling me that growing up, and you got to understand, let me give you a little context here. It was Jen, her two parents, and her three sisters. And for you younger people, this was in the days before cell phones. So you gotta, you gotta just imagine what that may have been like. A time where you couldn't text or call people. But Jen's dad, as they would be on the way to or from a place or coming from somebody else's house, would just randomly stop by another friend's home or stop by a family member's home. So imagine you're just hanging out in the Christmas season and you suddenly have six guests to entertain at your home. That could be a little chaotic, could be a little crazy, but I married into a really sweet family, really great family. So they, I'm sure were most often a blessing and not a burden to the people they visited. I don't think they were like the cousin Eddie of Christmas vacation, stopping by and staying for a month and wrecking things. Now, do you remember the other uninvited guest in Christmas vacation? That's right. The squirrel, right? How many of you are real tree people? Any real tree people here? We got a few of you. If you're joining us online and you think the real tree is the only right way to be, you can let us know right there. There's a button you can press for that. But if you are one of those real tree people, you might want to check your tree for any yuletide bandits that might be hiding out unexpectedly. The other day I was reading of a family here in Kentucky who heard a little hoo, 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 hoo and discovered a baby owl in their tree. Now, that's pretty cute. But I read of another guy who discovered something a little more sinister coiled around the trunk of his tree. And he found, yeah, judging by that, I've just ruined Christmas for some You're going to have Christmas nightmares of a snake on your tree. Like, that is worse than coal, isn't it? That is the anti-Christmas animal, if there is one. There was a gal down in Florida whose dog sniffed out a raccoon that had made its way into the tree. And she said, once the dog discovered the raccoon, chaos ensued, and it made the Christmas vacation scene with the squirrel look like a happy moment. She said, it just destroyed the house, and it was all a wreck. Well, how many artificial tree people do we have here? Yeah, most of us are fakers, aren't we? <laughs> we love the fake trees, and I'm that way too. But don't think that just because you have an artificial tree that you are somehow out of the woods. There's a gal who just the other day was sitting alone in her room and heard something sneeze and said, oh, God bless you. And then realized, wait, 
Who are you? So as she searched the home, a little scared to find out what it was, she discovered a possum hanging out in her artificial tree. And she didn't know how it got into the house. That alone is kind of freaky. She called the Animal Help Hotline. Didn't even know there was such a thing. Called the Animal Help Hotline. And they were off duty. But they gave her instructions for how to get the animal out of her house on her own. How many of you are brave enough that you're going to go up and chase the possum out? Well, she did. And she thought it looked pretty cute. And she considered making it a pet. Which I think there's something wrong with her. Because that's like the cousin to the rat. Have you ever seen a possum tail? I mean, that's just nasty. Well, my favorite one, though was the mom down in Australia who came home and discovered that her children had placed a stuffed koala bear on the tree. And it was hanging out from the tree in kind of a precarious position. It looked like an odd decoration, an odd ornament. It was oddly placed. And she thought, well, that's cute, but I don't know what my kids are up to. So she went up to move the koala bear stuffed animal. And that's when it turned its head to look at her and grunted. And she jumped back startled and it was startled and jumped further into her artificial tree. Somehow that koala had made its way into the house and had scurried up the tree. So she also called the Australian Animal Help Hotline and they thought she was pranking them. She had to send a video to prove that she actually had a koala bear on her Christmas tree before they would come to the house. And when they got there, the authorities discovered this little koala was clinging to the tree as though his life depended on it. And he'd gotten all wrapped up in the Christmas lights. And so they had to carefully unwrap him from the lights and pull him from the tree. And eventually they got him loose. They took him outside. And when they let him go, he quickly scurried up into the neighbor's yard, into a tree, a real tree in the neighbor's yard. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's a koala bear on my Christmas tree, I'm good with that. Like, that's a pretty cool thing, especially since we don't have koalas around here. But that little Christmas koala was a fun experiment for that family. But have you ever wondered where the Christmas tree originated from? I mean, it's kind of an odd tradition, isn't it? Let's go into the woods, chomp down a tree, or these days, maybe we'll buy one from a lot that somebody else has already chomped down, or most of us, it seems. We just go to the store and buy a fake one, we'll drag it home, we'll set it up, and... We'll decorate it, leave it in our house for a month. Some of you, three or four months. Some of you, way too long. You got to take that tree down after a little bit, all right? But it's kind of an odd tradition, isn't it? You ever wonder where it originated? Well, I'm glad you asked. About 500 years ago in Germany, they celebrated what they called the Feast of Adam and Eve. Now, the Feast of Adam and Eve was based on how God had created everything. He created the world, and then he placed Adam and Eve as the first people in the Garden of Eden. And he set people as his pinnacle of creation. He said, you get to rule over and have dominion over all the things I've created. This is all yours. But to remind you that you are still created thing, that you are not God, there's one thing that's off limits. It's a tree, and on that tree is some fruit. And that tree with the fruit is the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that, you get everything else. Well, just like kids with cookies in front of them, if you tell them not to eat them yet, Adam and Eve, eventually, they ate that fruit. And that's when sin and death came flooding into the world, wrecking everything. They disobeyed God, and it broke all things. And so this feast of Adam and Eve was to remember how paradise had been lost. Now they also celebrated that feast by remembering how Jesus, God through Jesus had made a way for us to get back to paradise. 
And so to celebrate that feast, they would go into the woods and they would chop down a small tree. They would bring it in and they would decorate that tree with apples. Now listen, I don't think apples, especially Honeycrisp apples, could have been the fruit in the garden that were off limits. They're just way too good. That could not have been what brought sin in. Maybe a bitter apple, I don't know, but not the Honeycrisp. But they would decorate those trees with apples and then they would also decorate those trees with wafers to remind them of communion, to remind them of the sacrifice that Jesus had made so that we could have a way back to paradise in heaven with God. And eventually, they began decorating these things. They called it the paradise tree. Eventually, they began putting cookies on those trees to keep the kids interested in the celebration. Now, listen. If you find a tree adorned with cookies... That really is a paradise tree, right? Anybody with me on that? Like, I'm hopeful that when we get to the paradise of heaven, there will actually be a variety of cookie trees, trees that grow cookies right on them. Lots of cookies, no calories, chocolate chip kind, peanut butter kind, the Oreo kind, you name it. I think there's going to be cookie trees in heaven, and those really are paradise trees. So that was where this paradise tree came from. But one day, a guy named Martin Luther, and you might recognize that name. He was a German monk priest who did some things to reform the church about 500 years ago. Luther was walking through a pine forest at night. There was a fresh snow on the ground, a fresh snow on the trees, a full moon. And he looked up at one point when there was a break in the trees. And he saw the moonlight glistening off the fresh snow on all these pines. He said it glistened like a million little lights in the moonlight. And he got the idea to improve the paradise tree, to improve it by using a pine tree and to put real lights on it. Now, back then they didn't have lights like we have, you don't plug them in and you get lights. They used candles. Any of you real tree people put real candles on your tree? I've known a couple of people that do that. They're daredevils. Don't tell the fire marshal and keep a fire extinguisher nearby. Like you were attempting fate with that, but that's what Luther suggested they do. And Luther suggested that the Christmas tree, the paradise tree, should not just focus on paradise lost. He said, we focus too much attention on the first part of the story. It's not just how everything went wrong. You know, Romans 5 tells us about that. It says, when Adam sinned, then sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. And why? Because all of us, bar none, every single one of us has sinned. And Luther said, that shouldn't be the focus of the story. It shouldn't be on paradise lost, but on paradise found, on what God did through Jesus to restore us to paradise, to make a way for us to get back to the paradise of heaven. What Jesus did to rescue us from sin. 1 John 4 tells us this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? The baby born in a manger, God's son coming to earth for us. It said he gave him us, gave him to us so that we might have eternal life through him. So this is real love, not that we loved God first, but that God loves us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's the Easter story, isn't it? And you don't have any reason to celebrate Christmas if you don't recognize Easter. And Easter is not possible without Christmas. So they're two halves of the same coin. They play in tandem. 
But it, do you find it a little weird that we celebrate the birth of the Savior, that we celebrate birth and life during a time of year when the world seems more lifeless? We celebrate at a time of year when the world is just filled with cold days and dark nights, leafless trees, fallow fields. It seems like things have died away at this time of year. This past spring, I planted some new shrubs in front of our porch, between our porch and our walkway. And these shrubs had beautiful blooms on them. They bloomed beautifully for three seasons straight, blooming with pinks and whites and blues and indigos throughout the spring and throughout the summer, even late into the fall when most other things were going dormant or dying away and losing their leaves. They were blooming and bursting with beauty. But in this season... Not so much. (laughs) They have lost their vibrancy. They've lost their color. The beautiful colors that adorned them just a few months ago have all faded away. And those shrubs, as beautiful as they are in three seasons, don't look quite so beautiful now. Friend, do you ever feel that way in your life? you ever feel like your joy or your hope or your peace have gone dormant, worse yet, that they have died away? Are you stuck in a cold, dark, lifeless, wintry season in any area of your life? Feel like you're in a winter season with a relationship? Maybe in your marriage with your spouse, maybe in your family with your child or with your parent or a sibling, maybe with a friend. Feel like you're in a lifeless wintry season with your finances, your career, your employment, with your purpose. Maybe you feel like you're in a wintry season with your struggles and your addictions, or maybe your afflictions with your health. Maybe, worst of all, you feel like you're in a wintry season with your faith. It's gone dormant, or worse yet, died away? If so, you are not alone. And if so, there is still hope for you. Uh, On the other side of that walkway from where I planted those shrubs that bloomed beautifully, there are these evergreen shrubs. They're a stark contrast of life and color to the bleakness of winter. When all other things have gone dormant or died back, they still have a beautiful shade of green, these various shades of green life still pulsing through them. Some of them even get these beautiful red berries this time of year. There's this life that they exude, and it's it's just such a great contrast to the browns and the white of snow. You know, that's how God's love is. There's a reason we use evergreen for the Christmas trees and the wreaths, right? Because evergreen shows that the life is still there. It's a picture of never-ending, never-fading life, of life eternal and everlasting. And so we have these pictures in the trees and the wreaths of this season of a life that does not fade or die. Because that's how God's love is for us. That the love of God is evergreen. That the grace of God is evergreen. The forgiveness of God is evergreen. The joy of the Lord is evergreen. The hope that Jesus gives us is evergreen. 
It does not have a dormant season. It never fades. It never dies, never loses its leaves or goes dormant or goes into hibernation. But it bursts forth with life forever. God's love is evergreen. But sometimes God's methods do seem strange to us, don't they? Because often we see that death precedes life. That's how it is in the story of Jesus. He was born, but then for life to come to us, he had to die. There's a death that comes before the rebirth of resurrection. Something has to die for something else to gain life. Sometimes we feel that way in our lives, right? Sometimes it's as though our life or the landscape of our world is like the landscape of a great forest that's been decimated by fire. If you've ever seen the wasteland after a forest fire, everything is just burned away and there's ashes on the ground. But then eventually, eventually a seedling pops up. And so often the first seedling is an evergreen. They're resilient. They come back. In fact, the heat of the fire releases the seeds in the pine cones. And so out of the wasteland, out of the ashes, pops forth a seedling and then another and then another. And before you know it, you have a whole forest of evergreens, a whole forest of Christmas trees, tall and beautiful, shaped like arrows pointing us to heaven. Could it be that sometimes... Maybe that's what God is doing in our lives. That God is birthing the seedlings of faith in the soil of our souls. That he's planting hope even when we feel burned or burned out or lifeless. You know, after the cross came the cold of the grave. Cold and dark and lonely as a snowy winter's night. But even then, God was up to something. God was doing something. God was bursting forth and birthing new life from the grave. Because that's how God is. After the crucifixion comes the resurrection. The Easter resurrection proved that the Christmas life that God birthed in the manger never would go dormant, never would die away. That even human death would not be the end. Because out of the grave the Savior arose. We sang of that earlier, didn't we? And friend, that's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God invites us to, is an everlasting, evergreen life. The early church leader, Paul, who was a church planner, a missionary in the first century, he wrote these words to the church at Colossae. He said, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. That's the picture we saw just a moment ago when those two young gals surrendered their lives to Jesus. Baptism is the picture of the death and burial coming up to new life in a resurrection life, to find new life in Jesus. Paul says, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Raised up to new life with Jesus. And why? Because you trusted in the power of God, the mighty power of God. And it was Christ who was raised from the dead. He says, this is the picture that we have in our baptism. He says, you were dead because your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away from you. 
It said, but then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, all the sin debt that we owed, all the bad things, the wrong things we've done, all the wrong things done to us. He took him away and he nailed that to the cross, giving us a brand new life. And if we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in Jesus, that's the life that's promised to us. And the life that we have then is an evergreen life. It's a life that never ends. It's a life full of beauty forever. Now you might look at the world and say, yeah, but Fitz, I hear what you're preaching. I just don't believe it because I don't see it, man. I turn on the news and I see wars and disaster. I see destruction. I see arguments and division and problems and pain. And I agree. I see it too. And I see too much of it. Our world is not the way God intended it to be at the beginning. Our world is not the way it should be. Our world is filled with way too many terrible things. But that's the remarkable power of God. That all those things we might refer to as manure, right? The manure of life, all those terrible things. But you know, when it comes to planting things, manure is fertilizer. And God uses the manure of all those terrible things and he turns it into the fertilizer to give birth to hope, to give birth to faith, to produce the seeds of love. See, when everything else in the world looks bleak, when life has died out and gone dormant, God's love still shows evergreen, a stark contrast to all the problems in the world. And the evergreen love of God shows up all the time, everywhere, even in the bleakest situations. And it has for the last 2,000 years. That's what God does through his church. That's the story we saw in the two boys at Southern High School. That's the reason we've helped make Christmas happen for dozens of students at Southern High School and dozens of other kids in this community and for hundreds of people around this community this year. The church has always done that. It was God's people who created the first hospitals and orphanages and safe houses for women and children and the first rehab centers for people stuck in addiction to help them gain freedom from it. It was God's people who created schools and universities and food pantries and homeless shelters and provided adoptions and fostering and caring for the sick and the dying and the disabled and the helpless and the hopeless and rebuilding homes after storms and fires and disasters had ruined them. It's God's people who pour out generosity because that's just who they are. That's just how they live. It's God's people who fight for justice and end slavery and help women and children escape trafficking. Finding people who are buried in grief find hope and new life once again. And the story goes on and on and on. And friend, that's what God desires to do for you and in you and through you. With his everlasting, evergreen love. The life God births is an evergreen life. And when all else in the world looks bleak, God's love still shines vibrant and it's alive. You know, the point of the Christmas tree is that it should point us to another tree. We could sum up all of history with three trees. The first tree there in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that when Adam and Eve ate from its fruit, they broke the world. All the problems came flooding in. And then there's the tree that we read about in the book of Revelation at the very end. When you make it to the paradise of heaven, there's a tree there, the tree of life, that you eat from the fruit of that tree. 
And you have an evergreen, everlasting, eternal life with God in paradise. But between those two trees stands a third tree. The tree of Calvary. The tree of Christ. The cross. And that, that tree makes all the difference. Luke, the gospel writer, tells us this. So they came to a place called Calvary, also known as the place of the skull. And they nailed Jesus to the cross there. He was crucified and he was killed there. Peter writes this to the church. He said, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, referring to the cross. Think of what that means. Think of the gift that that is of Christmas. That the babe born on Christmas grew up to be the savior on the cross. And he took our sins upon him as he was nailed to that tree. And he did it, why? So that we might die to sin and come alive to righteousness. And there's only one way that can happen. To have the right life. That's what righteousness means, to live right. And there's only one way we get it. And that's by Jesus and his wounds that have healed us. Healed us from all the wrongs we've done and all the wrongs done to us. We find our healing through his sacrifice for us. You know, God's Christmas tree looks a little different than most people's trees. Like when you get a Christmas tree, I'm guessing you want it to be full, right? Lots of branches and you get it full, you know, all the artificial tree people, right? You have to pull it out of the box beginning of the season. And what's the worst part? Like this is the part of Christmas that my kids hate more than anything else is you got to fluff the tree. Like they'll look at me and they're like, dad, there is nothing fluffy about this tree. It's pokey. It hurts. What are we doing? Like just stick it together. I'm like, no, no, man. Like you got to pull those branches. You got to make it look like it's full. You got to make it look like it's alive. They're like, dad, it's plastic. It's not alive. Everybody knows it. Just leave it. We'll throw the things on there. But we want to fluff them up. We want big trees. The one time that I talked to my dad into getting a real tree when I was a kid, we had to get a, a tree that looked full. It was way too full. The thing barely fit in our truck. I don't know why we thought it'd fit in our house. We cut on that thing for an hour after getting it home before we finally got it in there. We had to move all the furniture out of the room so we could get around there. We cut the back half of a tree off to shove it up against the wall so we could actually navigate around our Christmas tree. It was way too full. Most people, we want a full, vibrant tree. That's just not God's Christmas tree. His looks a little bit more like Charlie Brown. There's not a whole lot of branches, and that's not real full. In fact, there's only two branches on it, one on the right and one on the left. It's not filled with all kinds of bright colors and prettiness. It's just mostly one color, red. It's not flocked with snow, but Scripture does tell us that if you'll cling to the one who gave his life there for you, that even though your sins are like scarlet, God will wash them as white as snow, and he will cleanse you from all your sins. And as brown and ugly and deathly as that cross looks, it is surprisingly evergreen. For it's there at that cross that a life was sacrificed. But it's there at the cross when we put our lives down, we find the evergreen, everlasting life we've been looking for. So friend, whenever you see a Christmas tree, let it remind you of another tree. Let it point you to heaven. Let it point you to the cross. And remember what was done for you on that tree. When you see the Christmas tree, let it remind you of the way that God has made a way for you 
to make it to the paradise of heaven to eat of the tree of life forever. I'm reminded of the lyrics of an old hymn. Some of you will remember this right away. And as my Christmas gift to you, I'll read it as a poem and not sing it. You're welcome. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? And he bore it to dark Calvary. That's the Easter story. And that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and rescue me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till all my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for the crown of heaven. I will cling to the old rugged cross. You remember that Australian Christmas koala? Clinging to the tree and so his life depended on it. Maybe it wasn't too far off. Friend, if you will cling not just to the Christmas tree, but to the Calvary tree, if you'll cling to the cross and even more importantly, to the one who gave his life there for you and for me, then you will find the evergreen life God has promised us. God, we thank you that though we have all tasted of the fruit and we have all disobeyed and gone our own way, though none of us deserves your love, though none of us deserves your grace, you give it freely. And God, we look forward to eating of the paradise tree in heaven, the tree of life, an evergreen life where there is no pain or shame or problems. There's no wreckage of this world, but only the best of what this world is magnified beyond what we can even imagine. Only beauty and joy and love forever. And God, we acknowledge the tree in the middle, that it took a cross to bridge the chasm between the two other trees. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to die there for us so that we might live with you in paradise. God, this Christmas, may we cling to you. May we cling to you as leader of our lives. May we cling to you as the rescuer of our souls. May we cling to you as a savior, as the king, as our forgiver and redeemer. Thank you for that gift. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.